Open Hosea with me. And let's let God speak to us. Our glorious God, say some things to us that were spoken and written long ago to the nation of Israel, but we can take comfort in them ourselves. And brethren, for the most part, the severe warnings in this book don't apply to most of you. It's a good warning, though, to keep us honest. Some of you need to check your hearts because there doesn't seem to be that much difference between you and the Israelites. But for the most part, let's, let's look at the comfort that he gives us and the overtures that he makes to draw his people to repentance, even when they're this wicked and Israel was bad. Right. Hosea is the name of a man. Therefore, it's the name of the book that he wrote, which contains the prophecies that he made and the warnings that he gave to Israel over a long period of time. We know it's a long period of time because the list of kings given in the first verse of the first chapter. I'm going to remind you a few basic things that some of you need to get ingrained in your mind. Saul was the first king of Israel, then David, then Solomon. Solomon taxed the nation heavily. His son Rehoboam would not give any tax relief. And so the nation split by God's choice. There was a civil war. All civil wars are by God's choice. And there was a choice for a civil war that split the nation. Ten tribes left Rehoboam, David's grandson, and formed their own nation. And it's called Israel in the Bible. And sometimes it's called Ephraim, which was a nickname for Israel. Ephraim being one of Joseph's two sons that became a tribe in its own right. And the two tribes that were left, Judah and Benjamin, because they were geographically connected and because they were the tribes of the two first kings, and for whatever other reasons, because Jerusalem was located in Benjamin, not in Judah, those two tribes are what is called Judah in the Bible. The capital of Judah was Jerusalem. The capital of Israel was Samaria. The worship of the true God took place in Jerusalem most of the time, and their kings were better. The worship of God took place in Bethel and Samaria, which was the capital of Israel, and their kings were profane and bad, like Ahab and Jezebel and their sons, uh, and Athaliah, that was a queen for a while. And, and Judah had some bad kings, but Judah also had some good kings, and Israel really never had any good kings to speak of. And so those are the two nations, and this man Hosea is sent primarily to the ten tribes called Israel. He gave them this warning, and they received some other warnings from Isaiah and other prophets. And then God sent the Assyrians and wiped them out and took them away and scattered them in the earth and never recovered them again back to the nation as a nation. He recovered them, the few that he did, by the gospel. Because we have in James, to the twelve tribes, how many tribes? Twelve tribes, where are they? Scattered abroad. Still out there from the Assyrian dispersion. The, the Jews from Judah were taken to Babylon for 70 years, but they came back. Some, some of them came back. Some stayed in Babylon. And that's where Peter was at the end of his life. And he tells us that in First Peter, that he was there and he was greeting them from there because there were a lot of Jews there. And Peter was a minister of the circumcision. But that was Judah that was taken captive into Babylon, punishment for their sins, but they came back, rebuilt the temple, and it was rubble. But we're here with Israel just before God sends Assyria and disperses them. They think Assyria is going to help them. 
When they're threatened by Egypt, they ask Assyria for help. When they're threatened by Assyria, they ask Egypt for help. When they're threatened by Assyria, they send a tribute, they send tribute money, tax money to Assyria and buy them off. You can read these events in the book of 2 Chronicles. The little bit of historical background, so that as you read the book, it's not complicated. Some of the language is metaphorical, especially in Hosea. I mean, Hosea is pretty blunt, and he jumps from point to point, sometimes within a chapter, but it's just hard-hitting warnings for this, the ten tribes of Israel to get serious and return to the Lord. They were guilty of idolatry. They had golden calves. They had left the worship of the true God for golden calves. So we have chapter 4, verse 1, and I want to go there again as we get ourselves back into thinking about the book of Hosea. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. The ten tribes, capital in Samaria, the kings of the sons of Jehu and his grandsons, and they're about to be wiped out for the guilty blood that they have shed in Jezreel when Jehu was showing his zeal before the Lord. But in verse 1 of chapter 4, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. This is not a controversy that God is having with Philistia, or Assyria, or Egypt, or India. This is a controversy God is having with His nation, the nation of Israel. Judgment begins at the house of God. The Lord cares the most about His own people. And He has a controversy with them because He had blessed them so abundantly and they had turned their backs on the true and living God to worship stones. He has a controversy. The question we need to ask ourselves today when we, when we hear this, does the Lord have a controversy with me? Am I doing anything where the Lord has a controversy? Where there's a difference because we're doing something different than what God wants us to do. We are not returning to Him the benefit that He's given us. We are not delighting in Him as we should. We are letting things distract us and divert us from the worship of God. We want to ask ourselves, does God have a controversy with us? Are we worshiping in truth? Are we showing mercy in private? Do we want the knowledge of God? I mean, do we really want to know the true God? The God of the Bible. Do we want to know Him and delight in Him and walk with Him and praise Him and glory in Him? Because He's he's done so much for us. If He's our Father, we should treat Him as such. And if we don't, then there's a controversy between the Lord and us. Just like a father has a controversy with his sons when his sons are not walking the way they should. There's a controversy that comes up. Every father in here knows what I'm talking about in one second. Does God have a controversy with us because we're not the sons that we should be based on all that he has done for us and taught us? Let us ask ourselves that. Let's go to the last verse again because the last verse is such a great summary verse for the whole book. Hosea is blunt, direct, concise to the point, but look at this last verse. As he wraps up the book of Hosea. Who is wise? Who is wise? Who is wise? And he shall understand these things. Who is prudent? I read the ellipsis for you. Who is prudent? And he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. 
and the just shall walk in them, but the transgressors shall fall therein. If you're wise and prudent, you're going to understand and know the things of the book of Hosea, that they're right, that they're good, that God truly was merciful and gracious to Israel, calling them out of Egypt and making them a great nation. That he is justified in punishing them for their stupid idolatry. That they have forsaken his law, ignored his prophets, raised up prophets of peace to comfort themselves, which is wrong. And that he is going to judge them for it. He's going to judge them severely. But if they would repent, he would forget it all and forgive them again. And, and love them freely. If you're wise and you're prudent, you understand and know these things. That they're the way God deals with his people. And, the, and you will know that just men, the word just is used here to describe a category of men. The just, those are righteous men. The just shall walk therein. Wise and prudent men that are just know that everything in the book of Hosea is true and fair and good and better than good. And they want to walk in those ways because God will bless them. And they find them a wonderful way to, to live with the God of heaven and to walk with him. But transgressors, the wicked, the foolish, are going to fight and balk against these things. And they're going to fall therein. Because there's judgments contained in these 14 chapters. And those judgments are going to fall on their head. So, does the Lord have a controversy with you or with me? Or with us as a church? And are we wise and prudent to understand that everything in Hosea is fair and good? And are we going to walk in those ways? Because they're good ways. Oh, wait till I get to chapter 14 when we end up this afternoon and see how good the Lord is to those that repent. So let's go to chapter 7 and work our way through the book, looking at a few highlights, a few verses that, by the grace of God, I hope I've picked that will be profitable for all of us. Chapter 7. We finished with chapter 6, last Lord's Day. We come to chapter 7. I've chosen, I hope it's by God's leading, instead of getting you bogged down in a phrase-by-phrase, verse-by-verse exposition of the book, we're going to hit some high points. And we hit the high points of chapters 1 through 6 last Sunday. Now we'll do 7 through 14. About two verses per chapter. Just to show you some of the good things here in the way of warning and in the way of offering and overtures of His mercy. And Israel was profane. Israel was not like Judah. The Lord's going to make a difference. He's already has. Remember the... uh, Well, I can't find it right now because we're going to run into it this time. We're going to run into it today. Well, it's in verse 7 of chapter 1. He shows the great difference that he has between the house of Israel and the house of Judah in his mind and the difference that he's going to show them. In chapter 1, he says, Hosea, go marry a whore. Have some kids. And he has some kids. He has Gomer and he has Loami and he has Lo-Rumaha. And those names mean things. Those names mean there's no more mercy for Israel. Those names mean you are no longer my people. But then as he wraps up chapter 1, he says this, verse 7, But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. The battle is not based on the military. The battle is based on the Lord. And the Lord said, I'll save Judah myself. And that was because Hezekiah was king in Judah at this time, as the first verse tells us. And God saved King Hezekiah with an angel of the Lord that killed 185,000 Assyrians. 
The same Assyrians that took ten tribes captive, two tribes were delivered by God himself because he loved Judah. Because Judah was more faithful in serving him. Chapter 7. Let's delight it. This is the Lord speaking to us. Delighting in the Lord is not some mystical thing. There is a real God in heaven. We have real existence. He has spoken to us. He has done things for us that the Bible tells us of. He does things for us on a daily basis that you know. Amen. He's speaking to us. He's warning Israel about their sins. And let's look at those warnings. Take them to heart. If we're not guilty, then don't let the devil accuse you. When we come to the comforting overtures, delight in them. That if the God of heaven would go after a bunch of idolaters, surely he loves me. And if I confess my sins, which are less than idolatry, he'll have mercy upon me as well. Amen. Hosea 7.2 And they consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own doings have beset them about. They are before my face. One of the delusions of a deceived Christian is, the Lord doesn't see. No, listen. You can hide your sin from your spouse. You can hide your sin from your pastor. You can hide your sin from your church. You can hide your sin from your boss. You can hide your sin from your teacher. You can hide your sin from your parent. But you're not going to hide it from the Lord. And so the lesson here in this verse is very simple. You may hide your secret sins. You may hide your sinful heart from others. But you're never going to hide it from the Lord. Because all things are naked and open under the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. According to Hebrews chapter 4, which is the Word of God, which is the living Lord Jesus Christ. They consider not. So it's good for us to consider in our hearts that God remembers all our wickedness. Unless we've confessed it. If we've confessed it, he puts it away. Legally, it's behind his back and he remembers it no more. Legally. We'll never face our sins again legally because they're gone. They're in the deepest, they're buried in the deepest sea. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. But practically, sometimes he will chasten us for them. Even though they're legally paid for. We've got to divide the right, the word of truth the way we should. They consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. When a man's in his wickedness, he doesn't consider. Because he's just rushing on in his sin. But he should consider the fact that God remembers all their wickedness. He doesn't miss anything. Uh, Your parents are going to miss. Your boss is going to miss. Your pastor misses things. The Lord doesn't miss anything. The the Lord doesn't miss anything at all. Now their own doings have beset them about. Israel is now facing the consequences for all their sins, and it's all around them. Assyria is coming to wipe their nation out. The consequences for them rebelling against God, them choosing idols over the living God, is now coming home to roost, as we sometimes say. They are before my face. Those sins that the Israel might say, well, they're ten years old. But if you haven't repented of them... The Lord's mind is not like my mind. The Lord's mind remembers the things that are ten years old if you haven't confessed them. They are before my face. 
They are right up in God's face, even though they might be old, if you haven't repented of them. This is the word of the Lord to Israel. They consider not in their hearts. So we have something we ought to consider, that God remembers all our wickedness, and it's right up in His face. We know that dealing with anyone on earth, if we just be are quiet about something, and if we're confronted about something and we don't repent for it, if we wait long enough, it, their anger will dissipate and they'll forget about it. The Lord is not like that. He remembers it, and it's right in His face. So as the Assyrians are coming, and the Israelites are not repenting, and their wickedness is remembered and right in God's face, go get them, he says to Assyria. And he blesses them. They were the rod in his hand, and the axe with which he hewed down the nation of Israel. So that's a warning for us. Simple enough point, I believe you understand it. As you had explained to you well last Sunday by Brother Red. From Psalm 50, evil men, because God doesn't judge them immediately, think that God is like them and is basically approving of their sin. But you you saw what that chapter said. You that forget God, consider this. I'm about to tear you in pieces because those sins are remembered and they're right in my face by this verse. I hope that we always remember that. If you don't repent of your sins, they're right in God's face. If you, if you start reading your... Oh, well, we're good. We're good. Every man's the same. I'm going to start reading my Bible more. I'm, I'm going to be in church on Sunday. You think that's going to take it away? See, if you come home and you're nice to your wife, but you never confessed for yelling at her in the morning, you're nice to your wife, you take her out to eat, and you think, well, I'll just, it'll just dissipate. I'll just earn my way out of this by some kindness. No! You may be able to do that with her because she's foolish and merciful and way too kind and you don't deserve her. But you can't do that with the Lord because He remembers it until you repent. When you repent, it's over. That's the best way. You don't want anything in His face except a big smile. The Bible says that. The favor of His countenance is life, brethren. His countenance is life. We want God smiling at us and nothing in His face. Because we've confessed it, forsaken it. That's chapter 7, verse 2. If you think I should take longer on these verses, forgive me. And hope, just forgive me. Let's go to verse 9 of of chapter 7. Strangers have devoured his strength, and he knoweth it not. Yea, gray hairs are here and there upon him, yet he knoweth it not. I gave you this verse last Sunday because I was just trying to tantalize you with how neat the book of Hosea is. You know what gray hairs, when when they start popping out here and there, mean? It means you're getting old. It means that you're starting to decay. And it means you're soon going to die. That's why it's here in this verse. Strangers have devoured his strength. Do you know what that is referring to? You can go back and read it in 2 Chronicles. They were paying tribute to Assyria. They were being made poor by a foreign nation. When you're paying tribute money to a foreign nation, that's a terrible thing. It's one thing to pay taxes to your government, and then you get to drive down their highways, you know, and go to their universities and things like that. That's one thing. But when you're paying another nation's taxes, that's really bad. Strangers have devoured his strength, and he knoweth it not. 
Israel hasn't figured out that they're really close to the end if they're having to buy off the armies of Assyria. Because as soon as the Assyrians think that they're not getting paid enough or that the money isn't really satisfying them, they're going to come and wipe the nation out. But they weren't thinking about it. And what's the point for America right now? Does America realize that the Lord has stood up and reached for His scourge? No. March madness is upon them. Let me say something. If you can delight in the Lord your God and enjoy a little bit of college basketball, go for it. Read the book of Ecclesiastes and enjoy it. Drink your wine with a merry heart and eat your bread with gladness. But you know what? America goes on. You know, Sports Center hasn't changed. I thought with what's happened that Sports Center's 24-hour programming of sports that they would have given one hour to prayer and fasting. No, one hour. 23 dedicated to sports. They make up stuff every single day. They have to get so detailed and go into every single game and try to record every shot. You know, you'd think that the guys never miss if you watch Sports Center. They miss most of the time because it's a game of chance that is, has more probability in it than pitching a penny. Pitching a penny is always 50%. But no one in the NFL can maintain a 50... I mean, no one in the NBA can maintain a 50% scoring rate from the, with field goals. Let me get off that rabbit trail. Sports Center, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But it used to be one channel. Now it's about, what is it now, five channels? Do we have ESPN Classic and ESPN2 and ESPN College? <laughs> you want to help me out let yourself be known? <laughs> um, I'm letting myself be known. I've, there's a number of them. I know, Mark. Okay. There's a channel called ESPN. It's sports broadcasting. The point being, the point is from 7-9. No one is thinking about the fact that there's trouble on the nation. Right. We're totally bankrupt. If we were to mark our assets to market and try to pay off our debts to the Chinese, what would happen? We're in trouble. The number came out on Friday that Americans have lost $11 trillion in wealth. If you've got a big calculator or you can go into Excel, take $11 trillion. I, I, can't, I don't pronounce that word very often. $11 trillion and divide it by $300 million and find out what the average American has lost in the last 12 months by wealth being reduced because God scourges upon the nation with an economic calamity. But they don't consider... Strangers have devoured his strength. We are in debt to our bondholders. The interest on our debt is enormous. It's been the third largest item in the entire budget. We pay more in interest to fund our debt than anything except education and military. And we will soon surpass both of those. The only reason it isn't the number one item is because they artificially depressed interest rates. But they don't realize... Let's just watch another game. You know, as long as you fear the Lord, you can watch the game and say, you know, that's their religion. Those people cheering in the bleachers, they're cheering, they're cheering little idiots. And if it wasn't for the, if it wasn't for the NBA, they wouldn't have a job. 
you look at it and you say, they're fools. This is their whole life. But we know the God of heaven. And we delight in him first. The nation, there's no recognition. Why isn't there an hour for prayer and fasting? Just a blue screen with a verse from Hosea. That the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Does that make sense to you? That they ought to do something like that? But see, a gray hair is popping out here and there. Like 11 trillion of them. But no one's making recognition that there's trouble. They've never thought that America could be reduced to poverty. And begging and military dominion by someone else. Or economic dominion by someone else. That's what this verse is about. Assyria was doing it to Israel, but they weren't considering the fact. We always want to be looking in our life. In the day of adversity, consider is the point. In the day of adversity, consider. Personally, family-wise, church-wise, nation-wise. The nation should be considering, what have we done wrong that this is happening to us? And the president should be calling for a day of fasting and prayer. Presidents have done that in the past, but they were Christians. Strangers have devoured his strength and he knoweth it not. He hasn't figured out what's happening right now. Even though he's paying tribute to a foreign nation because of a military threat, he's paying their taxes for them. Yea, gray hairs are here and there upon him, yet he knoweth it not. He does not figure out that he's getting old and he's going to face the consequences for his sins. That's what verse 9 is all about. Don't, aren't the figures of speech in the Bible beautiful? Amen. That's right. Let's go to verse 12. When they shall, let's get verse 11 so that you'll understand 12. Ephraim also is like a silly dove without heart. That's a prophet of God preaching. Ephraim also is like a silly dove without heart. Vulnerable, foolish, helpless to figure things out. They call to Egypt, they go to Assyria. For their help, they're going to Egypt and Assyria. Brethren, did the Lord once deliver them from Egypt? What are they going to Egypt for help for? What's America turning to the Federal Reserve for help for? What is our president calling for an international cooperative effort to save our economy? They can't save their own, let alone help ours. Here's Israel going to Egypt for help when God saved them from Egypt in the days of Moses. When they shall go, look at verse 12. This is the one I want. When they shall go, I will spread my net upon them. I will bring them down as the fowls of the heaven. I will chastise them as their congregation hath heard. My prophets have come and told them, don't you dare go down to Egypt for help. Don't you dare go to Assyria for help. The congregation had heard the message, but the congregation wasn't listening to the message. What's the lesson for you? Do you listen to the word of God? For you are being told about your future from the Word of God. Do you listen to the Word of God? Do you tremble before it? You are being warned about your future. If you do not delight in the Lord your God and love Him and stay with Him and put your trust in Him, if you are friends of this world, you are the enemy of God and God will grind you to powder. I foretell your future. I am a prophet by virtue of preaching God's Word, which is the perfect book of prophecy. And so the the 12th verse has this lesson for us, as their congregation hath heard. The whole nation of Israel had heard it over and over by the prophets God raised up, but they didn't listen to them. If you were to go read, I believe it's 2 Kings 7, 
You, I think it's 2 Kings 7, and if it's not, it, it describes in detail of when the Assyrians came and took Israel captive. There is about a 10 or 15 verse description of all the prophets God sent and the years he took and the number of times he warned them before he actually did it. He is so merciful. And he's merciful to us today by giving us today to be in the house of the Lord and hear the word of the Lord. And so we want to tremble before it. And if there's anything in our lives, rip it out. Amend our ways and walk holy before the Lord. When they go, there is no help. You know what the book of Proverbs says? The book of Proverbs says, though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. You can, you can associate all you want, and you can get the best friends you want, and you can arrange all the help that you think is going to protect you, and God will tear you to pieces. Though hand join in hand. They were going to make associations with Egypt and with Assyria, and God was going to tear them up for their sins of idolatry, adultery, false preaching, heresy, idol worship. Here in the 12th verse, he'll bring them down. Let's go to chapter 8. Did you know that every day you're investing? Let's see what they were investing and what they were going to re- get as in their way of return on their investments. Hosea, chapter 8, verse 7. For they have sown the wind. For they have sown the wind. And they shall reap the whirlwind. It hath no stalk. The bud shall yield no meal. If so be it yield, the strangers shall swallow it up. There's two kinds of wind in the Bible. There's two kinds of wind in the Bible. God blows gently on you and favors you and everything you touch prospers. Or God blows against you and you work as hard as you can and his wind devours it. Now hear me, hear me clearly. Job did not sin. And God blew against him for a while to try Job and to magnify himself and to show Satan that Job was a righteous man. Job may have lost it a little bit for a few chapters, but Job was righteous. But God blew against this wicked nation and blew away everything they had. The book of Haggai describes him blowing against them. The book of Malachi describes him blowing against them. He said, if you want to stop my blowing against you, then bring your tithes and offerings into my house. And I'll open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you cannot receive. And I will stop the adversary that's destroying everything. And I will withdraw my wind that's blowing away against you. You're investing every day in God's wind. Is it wind of breathing on you prosperity? Or is it blowing against you? They were, they were investing in the wind and they were going to reap the, a tornado. They were going to get a tornado in their lives. And the Assyrians were like a tornado. We're going to read about how... That the Assyrians were known for exceptional cruelty. Exceptional cruelty in the annals of military history. Recorded in the Bible. They've sown the wind. And they shall reap the whirlwind. They're going to get a tornado. Then it says it hath no stock. All All their fields of agriculture. There's not going to be a stock left. Because of the whirlwind's going to come through and just rip it down to the ground. Have you, have you seen a field after a tornado's gone through? Yeah. A cornfield? Listen, a cornfield has a hard time with just a good wind, let alone a whirlwind. There's no stalk. The bud shall yield no meal. The little bud that's there isn't going to grow into anything that you're going to be able to eat. And if it does yield, 
Strangers are going to eat it. They're going to swallow it down. The Assyrians are going to be eating your bread if anything is harvested from your fields because you've invested in the wind and you're going to reap the whirlwind. I want to know what kind of wind you're going to reap in your lives. Fathers in here, what kind of wind is going to blow in the sails of your family? Is it going to devour your family and eat them up and scatter them to the four winds? Or is it going to foster them and help them and encourage them and prosper them? We invest every day in the wind that God's going to put either in our sails or against our ship. It's either going to bless us and it's going to bring seasons of refreshing and gentle rain from heaven that will water our fields or it will devour our fields like a whirlwind does. This is the lesson that we have from chapter 8 and verse 7. A wise man considers how he invests each day in his life, for his life, for his family, for his business, for his church. Hosea has great metaphorical language, doesn't he? They sow the wind, they're going to reap the whirlwind. There's not going to be a stalk, the bud's not going to feed anybody, and if it does produce any food, the Assyrians are going to eat it instead. There ought to be an hour of special programming. Because there's trouble coming. 11 trillion is a lot of money. It's a little bit more than they're going to pay the number one NFL draft prospect. Just a little bit. They ought to be thinking about that. Nobody thinks about it. The gray hair is popping out here and there, but nobody's thinking about it. They're investing in the wind. And they're going to reap the whirlwind. Every nation before us has been torn to shreds. Why do people think that it's not going to happen to America? What in the world is there about America in any way that's going to save it other than ten righteous souls, maybe, in her midst that would have saved Sodom and Gomorrah? And we want those ten or twenty or a hundred in this congregation. Every nation before us has gone down. And who has lived so wickedly in the face of so many blessings as the United States of America? Verse 12, Hosea 8, 12, I have written to him, that is to Israel, the ten tribes, to Ephraim, that's the name from verse 11, I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. I have written to him the great things of my law. Have you ever read Deuteronomy 28? It's 68 verses long. Maybe you didn't read it because you looked at the end and saw that it was going to cover four pages in your Bible. And you said that's just too long to read. But Deuteronomy 28, the first 15 verses are, if you'll obey me, here's how I'll bless you. And it's good stuff. From verse 16 to 68, if you disobey me, I'm going to tear you to pieces and here's how I'm going to do it. Here's how I'm going to do it inside. Here's how I'm going to do it to your family. Here's how I'm going to do it to your body. Here's how I'm going to do it to your nation. Here's how I'm going to do it to your savings account. Here's how I'm going to do it to your whole, everything you know. I have written to him the great things of my law. You know what Moses said when he got done? Moses said, I have set before you this day life and death. Choose life. Choose life. The God of heaven. Do you know what kind of furniture was in Canaan? The accumulated wealth of the fanciest furniture stores you've never been in was in every one of those houses. The Bible says that. The Bible says, see, the army comes out of the city. Israel would wipe out the army to the last man, then go into the city, kill all the women and children and all the animals. 
and say, I like this address right here. This nice big three-story on Main Street. I like this. When they go inside, the Israelite soldiers walked inside. Oh, wait till she sees this one. I mean, there's furniture that's been accumulated for hundreds of years of wealth that accumulated in the nations of Canaan. God said, when you get there, you won't have to dig a well because I've dug them for you. You won't have to plant a vineyard to wait 100 years for a vineyard to grow into something valuable. It's already there. Let's see, what else did he say? You won't have to build walls about the city because that takes a lot of time and a lot of concrete. The walls are already there, and you're going to get houses full of goodly things. Right. That's the God of heaven. And he wrote that in his law before it happened, and then it did happen. I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. That doesn't apply to us. The Bible's not relevant for the year 2009. That's the Old Testament. He should be telling a story about some Hollywood movie star who pretends to be a Christian. Why is he preaching from Hosea? That's a strange book. I can't make sense of that book. I have written to him the great things of my law. Brethren, I lay before you today life and death. Do you delight in the word of God, Old and New Testament? Amen. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Believest thou this? Amen. It's a great thing of his law. Children, honor your father and your mother, that it may go well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Do you mean all I have to do to have a long life and a good life is honor my parents? Do you mean if I honor my parents, not only am I keeping the Bible, but God is going to give me a long life and a good life and bless the things that I do? So I ask, did you love your daddy? Did you love him? Pick anything you want to eat today. I'm sorry. It's hard preaching to your parents. I was a foolish rebel son. Did you love your daddy? Did you love your mommy? Do you make it easy for them to be your parents? If you're not, God's going to tear you in pieces, and I will laugh all the way. Because you deserve every single bit of it. And I've seen that consequence in life. I know how my father treated my grandfather. I watched it every year, didn't we? Did our grandfather have three sons? Was another one of them a Baptist preacher? Which son was tender toward his grandfather? And Right there. See, we know. You guys who weren't tender toward your fathers, weren't tender toward your mothers when you had an opportunity, repent. See, I'm just going off the good things of his law. Because you know what the Bible tells us about that? It says in Ephesians 6, this is the first commandment with promise. That's a good thing. God doesn't have to attach... Any promise with a commandment, does he? Can't he just say, honor your father and your mother, you little brats? But what does he say? Honor your father and your mother, that it may go well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. I love that. I could, I could stay on this verse. There's 1,189 chapters in the Bible, and when I read any one of them, there's good things in them. Do, do you all agree? Amen. I, I, gave, I gave Israel... Good things out of my law, and they counted them strange. It's not relevant to today. That doesn't apply to me. That's to Israel and Hosea. You know what 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells me about everything written to Hosea? The things that happened to them were for an example to you and to me. 
All this right here is for us. But they counted them strange. Don't count the word of God a strange thing. It applies. It doesn't matter that it's the year 2009. If you think you can get away with child rebellion and not honor and love and dote on your parents, the Lord's going to tear you up. And it's going to be fun watching it. And if you, if you think I'm wicked, that's the attitude God has about it. And that's the attitude wisdom has about it. Go read Proverbs chapter 1. I've given you so many warnings, you young people, to love your parents and to submit to your parents and obey your parents and dote on your parents and thank your parents for all the goodness they do. Whenever I talk to you in private, I tell you the very same thing that I say from the pulpit. And if you don't want to do it, then let God's judgment fall on your head. The Lord was so merciful to give you the two parents that he gave you. You didn't deserve them. You didn't pick them. He did. Humble yourself. That was just one little aspect of God's law. I have written to him the great things of my law. Has the Bible written to us and told us we are the sons of God? Shouldn't we be the happiest people on earth? Are we kings and priests? Are we princes and princesses in this assembly? We should be happy. We can be happy in the waiting room of a Ford dealership where the mechanics don't know how to repair a diesel truck. I know that. I spoke as a fool a while ago, because that part of me would be getting stronger sitting in a waiting room if it weren't for the grace of God. Um, I love that verse right there. Let's introduce chapter 9. Go to verse 7. So much more could be said about 8, 12. I I gave you one chapter. Deuteronomy 28, 68 verses is pretty powerful. 15 good things. And then we have 53 pretty bad things. Very bad things. And Moses said, here they are. Just pick. Pick. He's so merciful. It's the good things of my law. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he shall exalt you in due time. Draw nigh unto God, and he will... Are those some pretty decent things out of his law? They counted it strange. That was, that's for ministers. That's for spiritually minded people. That's not for me. That's for another generation. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. It's precious. Chapter 9. Verse 7. The days of visitation are come. The days of recompense are come. Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is mad. For the multitude of thine iniquity and the great hatred. You say, what is this all about? Well, the days of visitation, the days of recompense, or God's judgment had arrived. The Assyrian armies were outside the city walls. It was over. Their nation was over because the armies were there. Israel would now know it. They didn't, they didn't figure it out from the gray hair popping up here and there. They didn't figure it out that they were paying tribute to a, a foreign nation to keep their armies away. But now they would know it because the armies were there and they didn't care about tribute anymore. They were going to take everything they owned. Israel shall know it is what we have in 9-7. The prophet is a fool, and the spiritual man is mad. What kind of prophet and what kind of a spiritual man? Not a true prophet and not a truly spiritual man, but those who claim to be spiritual and those who claim to be prophets of God, but the rest of the prophets tell us about, they were constantly prophesying one five-letter word to Israel. And what was that word? Peace. When there was no peace. And we have a bunch of men in pulpits today that want to talk about peace. They don't know anything about peace. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. And when he comes the next time, he's not bringing peace. That's right. He doesn't like peace for the wicked. 
The Bible says there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. But they preached peace. Go to, the, go to the chapters that talk about the false prophets like Jeremiah chapter 23, where the whole chapter is dedicated to the false prophets. The false prophets are liars. They're fools. The spiritual men are mad. Because everything they said, everything they prophesied is not coming to pass. There is no peace for the multitude of that iniquity and the great hatred. The great hatred that God had for the multitude of their iniquity. God was now pouring out His wrath upon Israel, and Israel would know it. Because the day of recompense, and the day of judgment, and the day of visitation had come. We, want to, we, we don't want that day to come. We want to understand that day before it gets here, while it's coming, and when it's here. That it, the, the scourge is not going to land on us. Because we trust in the Lord our God, we do not lessen, listen to lessons of peace. We listen to the word of God and we repent. And we walk in the way, the pathway of righteousness and the highway of holiness to avoid the scourge of God's judgment. Chapter 9 and verse 7. The lesson, reject false promises of peace and prosperity. We heard today from our, we heard this week, we heard this week from our president that the financial crisis was not nearly as bad as we thought. That it's over. We'll see. There is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. This nation doesn't deserve peace. We want to pray for the peace of Babylon so that we can have a little bit of peace in her peace. But this nation does not deserve it. The days of visitation, the days of recompense will come. And when they come, Israel's going to know it. That they are no longer the first-rate nation that they thought they were, as, as America thinks itself to be. But we want to understand it ahead of time. We don't want to listen to prophets that talk about peace and spiritual men that are made mad because God turns their counsel upside down. See, they thought they could prophesy peace because they were part of the conspiracy of the nation to send tribute money to Assyria and send to Egypt for help. And they thought that they could arrange peace and it would confirm their ministries. And God turned them upside down. He turned them into drunken men, it says, in other places in the, in the prophets because he brought the judgment on them anyway because there was no peace. It was a lying message from lying prophets. Right. And you will not have peace in your life if you reject the Word of God. I get to watch all of your faces four hours every Sunday, and I'm nothing compared to the God of heaven. I know who fears the Lord, and I know who doesn't. It's always on your face, and if you think that it's in your heart and not on your face, you are a liar and a stupid fool. Because if the fear of the Lord is in your heart, it comes up in your face. Because a merry heart makes a, makes a cheerful countenance. And a heart that loves the Lord, it shows in the face. That was 9-7. 9-11, I found 9-11, as for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird. From the birth, and from the womb, and from the conception. What's their glory? Their children. Let me read the next three verses so that you can understand the 11th verse. Though they bring up their children, yet will I bereave them, that there shall not be a man left. Yea, woe also to them when I depart from them. Ephraim, as I saw Tyrus, the great rich city of Tyre, is planted in a pleasant place, but Ephraim shall bring forth his children to the murderer. Give them, O Lord. What wilt thou give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. Destroy everything, every aspect of childbearing. And rip their families apart and take away all their children. 
This is the judgment of the Lord upon those who don't want to delight in Him and be thankful for all of His goodness and embrace Him and repent of their wickedness. This is God's judgment. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.